And we're going to see that in our Bible reading today in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. You can turn there. It's on page 18, I can't read the rest of it, 1898 or thereabouts. Galatians chapter 4. And as we read this, uh, as I read these words, uh, we normally we say thanks be to God, but during this Christmas season, as I read these words, and when I finish and say this is the word of the Lord, we're going to say together, this changes everything. Because it does. Uh, today, you've been hearing the message of hope. We heard the, the story of how God brought that hope into the world. Uh, a story so simple that even our children can tell us that story in our Bible reading today starts with that hope because the very first word in our Bible reading today is the word but and I've said this before you know who we are is God's children the rest of the world is going one way but because of God it's different for us we are but people that's who we are and we live into it proudly Here's the words. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. This changes everything. We are in the season of Advent, as we mentioned. And Advent really just means coming. It's something is coming. And for us, it means Christmas is coming. And so this is the season where we as a church spend several weeks looking ahead, anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. It's a time of waiting. And I know for some, this time of waiting is a hard season, particularly for many of our, our children. They're always asking, is it time yet? Is it here? Is Christmas? And it's a hard time for them to wait as they anticipate the joy and the fun of the Christmas day. When, we were, when our children were little, we had an advent calendar that we used that would mark the days uh, where our that would mark the days till Christmas. So as we waited, as our children waited, uh, they would be able to uh, just mark those off and know that that's, that, that was where, uh, how many days that they, they had left to wait. And so waiting is a part of it. And sometimes waiting for 25 days was kind of hard. But for God's people, it was even worse, I think. Because God's promise initially came to Abraham, if you look in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 12, we're going way back to the beginning, and that is not a coincidence. It tells us something about our God. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation and bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to send one 
that's going to save you. I'm going to send one that's going to redeem you. I'm going to send one into the world. And so God's people waited. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. Through 18 centuries, they waited. They waited because this promise came to Abraham in roughly about 1771 B.C. And so people like Simeon, who are Christ followers, who are part of God's people, they continued to wait, as, as Simeon said, I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm waiting for someone to come and save us from our grief. I'm waiting for someone to come and, and rescue us. And certainly Israel needed it because we remember that they were brought into, remember they were brought into Egypt where they were held as slaves. And then they were taken into exile, into Babylon and into uh, Syria. And then they were brought under occupation at the time of this uh, the, when Jesus came on the scene, they were under the occupation of the Romans who were running a tight hand on them. And they were waiting. And so Simeon, like his parents and his grandparents and, and his great-grandparents and their parents and parents, continued to call out to God and say, God, when are you going to come? You gave us a promise. You gave us hope. You said you're going to come. When, God, are you going to come? And then as Paul says here, when the time had fully come. But when the time had fully come. That phrase there comes out of the Jewish Christianity and comes out of their thinking of the day, which simply means that all of this is in God's control. All of this is in God's hand. When the time had fully come, from our God who orchestrates everything, when God saw to it that the time was exactly right. See, God wasn't just sitting on his hands for 18 centuries. God was working. He was preparing. He was making sure that everything would be set just right for him to come into the world and fulfill his promise. And so he was preparing. He was preparing through centuries and centuries and centuries. And when in the mind of God, and in the wisdom of God, and in the working and the ways of God, when everything was set, when the time was right, at this point in time, God said, see, Christmas event is not just an accident. It didn't just happen to fall in, you know, 4 B.C. It just didn't happen that Jesus was born then. It was God. It was God who held this time in his hand. He was preparing everything for his purposes. And when that time had come, Jesus entered into the world. And God did what? He sent his son. He sent his son. The preparation, the centuries, God was working to prepare so when the time was right, he could send his son. That word sent is, um, uh, it's kind of a missional word, if you will. You're sent from somebody. You're, the Greek word is you're sent on behalf of someone. You see, Christmas wasn't the day just that all of a sudden God like, oh, Jesus just appeared on Christmas Day. Jesus, as John tells us, was God. Jesus was with God. And when the time was just right, God sent Jesus into the world. God said, you're going to go on a mission to the world. 
when the time was right and God sent him. Who was the initiator? Who was the mover of this Christmas event? It was God. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. The prophet Isaiah said to us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This all came from the very heart of God. He was the one that was acting and moving in this Christmas event. When the time was right, God sent his son into the world, born of a woman. Born of a woman. That's an idiom. That's a colloquial phrase that just simply meant that he was human. He was human. He was born of a woman. This was part of God's plan. If you remember again, back in the beginning, see how this connects. Genesis 3, after sin entered into the world, God looked at the enemy. He looked at the, the uh, uh, Satan, and he said to him in Genesis 3, verse 14, he said, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And her offspring, Satan, is going to crush your head, said God. It's going to be born of a woman. One's going to come of a woman, Satan. It's going to come into the world. There's going to be uh, darkness versus light. And when he enters, when that light enters into this world, he's going to come and he's going to crush the darkness, Satan. And he's going to be born of a woman. He's going to be human. Theologians call this the incarnation. And behind this idea of the incarnation is the idea of, of restriction. Something grand got smaller. Something was compressed, something was put in. And what we're told in Philippians is that God restricted himself, says Philippians, and he left the glories of heaven and he restricted, I mean, just think of the glories of heaven, all of who God is, all of the characteristics of who God is, all of the perfection of heaven, and he constricted it to be done in the form of a human being. Philippians says that God emptied himself. He emptied himself and he was found to be in a fashion of a man. That word fashion in Greek is schema. And it's an interesting word because it was used for those occasions where there was a king and the king wanted to go into town. The king wanted to conduct some business. And so what he would do is he would take off all his kingly gear, his crown, his robes, anything that made him, identified him as a king, and he would put on the clothes of a pauper. He would put on the clothes of a regular person so that he could go into the world and be among them. And that's what God did. He emptied himself of, 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 of godness. Now we debate what exactly does that mean and we could have a long discussion on that. What does it mean that he emptied himself? How much did he empty himself? That's for another day. But he had to take off God so he could be fully God and fully human. And he was born of a woman. I mean, think, I was trying to think about this. 
And the best, the best thought that I came up with are these little bugger ants that I have in my driveway, in my garage in the summer. There's a little ants that just right underneath the garage door decide, that's where I'm going to make my home. And they just, they, they just, they're there. And I just spray them and they die. And then they come back and they live there and I spray them and they die again. And they just, this little ant colony lives right there. And I'm like, would you guys just get out of here? And wouldn't it be so great if I, to solve this problem, could constrict and restrict myself and become an ant and lead them away to safety so they don't have to die anymore? Can you imagine that? Would you do that? Would you trade that? Would you make that decision? You know what? I'm going to become an ant. Think of what that means to you. And what God did to become a human was much greater than that. And we can't even wrap our minds around that. But I don't know that any one of us would trade and say, oh, I'll be an ant. But Jesus became human. And he entered into the world through a woman. And C.S. Lewis calls this the grand miracle. Because this is what everything hinges on in God's word, is that God would do this, to come and dwell among us in the form of a human. Everything else hinges on this event. He was born of a woman, born under the law. For centuries, God's people operated under the law. We talked about this in our study of Leviticus. God gave them the Mosaic law, which was to solve the problem. How does a sinful person live with a holy God? How can that happen? And God said, well, I'll tell you how it happens. I will give you the law. I will tell you what my perfection and holiness looks like. And here's the law that you have to follow. And if you break that law, then you need to offer sacrifices to make up, to make yourselves holy, to, to make restitution for that. And God's people were under that law. And what did that law prove? They could never keep it. They could never keep it. Under the law, what's holy, I failed today, all right, I'm going to go make a sacrifice, and before I even get back to my tent, I've already messed up again. And all that the law proved is that we are under the weight of sin, that God is holy and we are not. And Jesus came in under that law, and while the law proved that we were sinful, and the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it tells us that the wages of sin is death. And if the law, that's what the law has told us, but when Jesus came in under that law, what did the law say about Jesus? He's sinless. He was perfect. He was able to fulfill the law. He was able to keep the law because he was truly the holy child of Mary. And so while the law shone a light on us that says, you're sinful, the light shone a light on Jesus Christ and says, he's holy, he's perfect. He was born under the law. And then it says the word to. This is the action. We have this event that God set up and it wasn't just so it would look nice on a Christmas card or that we could have warm fuzzies on Christmas season. It was for a specific purpose. The grand miracle took place for a reason, and that reason is right here in verse 5. It says, to redeem those under 
the law. Because the law already told us that our position is guilty, death, that's who we are. When we come into this world, that's who we are. And we could, have, we could talk about this, but there would be no debate. Because each and every one of us is sinful under the law. We come in guilty under the law. But what was this event set up to do? Does it say? To redeem us. All right, let's not despair. Because we're butt people, right? But the law tells us that that's what we're going to face. But... That grand miracle tells us something else. That our God is here to redeem us. Now we toss that word around uh, somewhat in our culture. I heard it a lot yesterday when I was watching some of the football games. Because some of the players were like, oh yeah, it was so great to get redemption today. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. All that really meant is like last time we lost and this time we won. You know, so again, it was nice to have a second chance. That's how they were defining it. And sometimes we, we take our cans and we go to a redemption center, right? We take our cans and, and we hand them in and they give us some money back for them. And that's a piece of the redemption, but it's much richer and deeper because in the Bible, the original Greek word is ex agorezo. Ex agorezo. Now, not to get too technical here, but it, the root of that word is agora. Agora. And the agora... If you were in the Bible times, you said, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go down to the Agora. All right, you wouldn't say it that way because you would say it all in Greek. But I'm going to go to the Agora. You're going to the marketplace. The Agora is the marketplace where things are bought and where things are sold. So behind this idea of redemption, we've got to remember, is the marketplace where things are bought and things are sold. And in case of redemption, what Paul is pointing to is the idea that we are slaves. We are slaves to sin, right? We already declared that. We fall under the law, we fall short. We're sinful. The wages of sin is death. And so we're slaves to this sin. And so Paul points to the Agora, where in that day, in the Bible day, slaves were regularly bought and sold in the Agora. You became a slave, maybe you're from... You were born into slavery. Your family has been a slave for years after years after years. This is not a, a statement on whether that institution should stand. It's just that was the historical fact at this time. You might be born into slavery. You might go into debt to somebody. If you were in debt to somebody, you would become their slave. Uh, a king could go off and you could battle another country and if you won the other country you would bring back the spoils and you would bring back slaves so there's lots of ways you could become a slave and what would happen is regularly you go to the agora and those slaves would be standing up and they would be standing there ready to be sold and people were buying the slaves in the agora so that's what paul is pointing to here when he's using this term redemption but notice how that word starts. I said it's ex agorezo. Ex means, think of exit, out of. Behind the word redemption then is out of slavery. Out of slavery. And the only way that you can get out of slavery, if you're in the agorezo and somebody sees the fine specimen that Bob Carroll is and that he could do almost any kind of job or any kind of you know, need that you would have around your house or around your home that you would need taken care of. They go, oh man, that guy, 
he's worth lots of money. I'll bid on him. They would have to buy me, purchase me. That's the only way that I get out of here is if I was purchased. And they would buy me with money out of the market, ex gorezo. So when we're talking about redemption now, follow along here, we're talking about redemption. What's behind that word then is that we were bought out of slavery. We were bought out of slavery of our sin. How did we get out of it? Because the law proved that we're all sinful. Well, remember what the law proved about Jesus? He was not sinful. So in the marketplace, I'm standing there sinful, bondage into sin, Jesus comes along, and he says, Bob, you come down. Because I'm buying your life. I'm taking your life. And instead, I'm going to stand there. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to let you have my perfection on you, and your sins are going to be put on me. And I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to take the punishment for your sins. I'm going to satisfy the wrath of God. I'm going to satisfy the justice that the law demands. Because God's holiness cannot tolerate sinfulness. I'll take it on, and I'll exchange my sinlessness for your sinfulness. And the scriptures tell us that he who was without sin became sin for us so that we might be able to become children of God. That's redemption. And that is the hope that we have today. Jesus said, that's what I have come for. He came into the world expressly for this purpose. So we need to look beyond, if we will, beyond the cradle, and we have to look to the cross because that is there for one purpose. Jesus came into the world for one purpose, and that was to redeem us, to give us hope. And so always we look at the, we look at the manger in the shadow of the cross because that's what Jesus came for. He said, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's redemption. That's what Jesus came into the world for. And so I just want to ask you today about that little baby that came He's here for you. He's here to give you hope. He's here to offer you hope of redemption. He's here to buy you today from your slavery of sin. Back in 1920, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 1829, there was a man by the name of uh, jo George Wilson, and George Wilson had committed murder, and he was. Uh, found, uh, he, was found, he was arrested for murder, he was then tried, he was then found guilty, and he received a sentence of death by hanging. And so he sat there in prison awaiting uh, his death by hanging while the rest of his family began to petition the courts and even reach out to the president, Andrew Jackson. They were a well-off family, they had influential connections, so they went right to the president on George Wilson's behalf. And while George Wilson was in prison there, uh, facing his imminent death, Andrew Jackson gave him a pardon. He pardoned him. He pardoned him from death. He pardoned him out of jail. Andrew Jackson set him free. They brought the news to George Wilson in, in jail and in prison, 
and George Wilson opened it up and he read the pardon and he took it and he crumpled it up and he gave it back to them and said, I refuse the pardon. I refuse the pardon. It set off a big deal because nobody had ever done that before. Nobody ever refused the pardon. And so it began to make its way through the courts all the way to the Supreme Court. And this is what Judge John, uh, Supreme Court Judge John, Chief Justice John Marshall said. He said, a pardon is of no effect until it is accepted by the one for whom it is intended. Though it is almost inconceivable that a condemned criminal would refuse a pardon, if he does refuse it, the pardon is of no effect. George Wilson must die. And George Wilson died because he refused the pardon that was offered to him. And we hear this story and we wonder, like, how could George Wilson refuse a pardon? How could he be so dumb? Why would, why would he do that? And you know what? I just begin to wonder how many of us here today are facing that same question. That we have a God who came into the world and did everything possible so that he could redeem us and buy us back and pardon us and give us life. That's what Jesus said. He said, I've come to give you life abundant. I will set you free from your chains, from your sins, and give you life abundant. That's what I'm offering to you. And then I gotta wonder, are there those of us that have just rejected it? We said, no thanks. I don't want that pardon. Because you see, God's here, he's, he's, he's come, but he's not gonna shove that pardon down your throat. Just like any gift, you have to receive it. You have to receive it. You see, because this is what Jesus said, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father because the Father is holy unless you come through me, unless you come through my redemption. Otherwise, you have no hope. And don't let the people out there who are preaching universalism fool you. At the end of the day, everybody does not go to heaven. At the end of the day, love does not win. God's holiness wins. And those who do not match up with God's holiness will have to face the just, justice of God. There are also those out there who want, who want to be inclusivists and say, well, all the religions have the same way to God. That's not true. Because as God revealed in his word, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ, unless you receive that gift that God has sent us, and you forget that part and you leave here today without any hope. And friends, I don't want that to happen. Because we have a God who loves you so much that he started working in the very beginning to prepare everything so at just the right time he could send his son into the world so that all who believe in his name can have eternal life. And that's what exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, and he came to all, he said, to all of you who receive me, to those who believe in my name, I give you the right to become a child of God, and we can call out to God where we were once distant and far from him and alienated from him through the redemption of Jesus Christ, 
we are able to say, Abba. And I love how the church through the centuries preserved this Aramaic word, Abba. It's an intimate word that you would say, Daddy, Father, Papa, that you have a relationship. And you can have that today. I want to ask our praise team just to come up as we close. We're going to close with a beautiful song that really sums this all up. And so as we get head towards that song, I just want to put that challenge out to you today and ask you, have you received that gift of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ came into the world to be the light of the world, to be the light in your heart. Have you received it today? If you haven't, I encourage you to make now, this year, the moment that you look back on and say, that was the Christmas that I received God's gift. Hope came into my life. And, I, bought, and I, I know on that day, I became God's own child. And friend, you can do that just by simply bowing your head, just turning towards God, just saying, God, I want to receive that gift. And so I just want to ask you now to bow your head, just quietly where you are. I don't know your journey, but God does, you do. The Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come. I pray that you would, would speak to us. God, because I know in a room that's this full, not everyone here has received your gift. So God, I ask right now that you would speak to that person, that you would whisper in your ear, let them hear you say, I love you, I love you so much that I made it possible that we can walk in a relationship. But friend, what you gotta do is lay down your life Lay down, lay down your will and hold your hand out to the Father. Hold your hand out to the Son who redeemed you. Would you do that? Would you do that now? Just say, God, I accept your gift. I accept your gift, God. God, I've, I've looked many other places. I was like that girl we saw in the drama and she's looked all kinds of places. And yet her life is without hope. But then she... You saw in the Father's book the hope of Jesus Christ. Call out to him today, would you, friend? And maybe there are those of us who have received that gift, and maybe we forgot about what a grand miracle that is. And in this moment, in this time, can you maybe just ask God to restore the joy of your salvation? Maybe you've become lukewarm. Maybe this is a story you're like, oh, it's another Christmas story. I've heard this over and over again. Don't become callous to it. Ask God to give you fresh ears to hear, eyes to see, so that you will always be in wonder of a God who saved you and that you would be willing to live your life all out for him in response to this gift he's given. Whatever the Spirit is saying to you in this moment, listen to the Spirit. And take this time to respond to God for the precious gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ.